Hello, everybody. Hi, all. Happy Monday in December. First Monday in December. First Monday yes, in December. yes. It's a sunny, warm day. Gorgeous. Yeah, a little bit windy, but yeah, it's 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 really it's nice, nice out. out. Yep. I don't know what the forecast is or how long this is going to last, but we're happy for today. We're happy for today. <laughs> so anyway, glad y'all are with us today. Whether we resume our journey through First Thessalonians, um. Let's see. Any big news, honey? Anything at all? Let's see. Nothing too, too, mm. too big. We both had dentist appointments this morning. Yeah, that's two exciting. Dentist. That's a thrill. <laughs> that was That'll big. That'll really that get things fun. going here, won't it? Yeah, I went. I went to Walmart today at Park uh-huh. and Preston. Yeah. And today there was not even one cashier. I felt so bad. I only had a few things, but some people had whole carts full, and they were having a self-check. Yeah, I don't know uh, what they're doing, because it keeps me out of their stores. I don't want to even stop by Walmart it's anymore. It's kind of crazy. I would think that they're any... losing a lot of stuff to theft, because they can't keep possibly keep track of it. They I, can't I don't possibly know. keep it's, keep track of what's going on. But I, get, I buy most everything on Amazon anyway. That's so true. I could get bananas on Amazon if I tried hard enough. Y'all would be shocked. <laughs> Scott, Scott orders dental floss on. Yeah, that. Yeah, th- that's our prime example of the absurdity of Scott's intimate relationship with Amazon. That's right. <laughs> but you know, you pay for that shipping only one time a year. Yeah, I use it. You know, yeah. why not? It gets here. I don't have to go anywhere. It just arrives right at my door. That's so I true. like that. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. So well, we hope everybody's doing well. Yep. Um, wow, we had a really full class yesterday. We had over two hundred people in person on Sunday. That was that was a a big class, you know. Especially that was a for big this class. Time of, time of year, and um, we had a number of people online. That was good. It was great to see the Brooks back yesterday, and um, we're just we're just kind of plowing away through Advent here. We are. Yes, and just put, but just we just put my phone on airplane mode. I know some of you know this, that Kim Myers started a um, Advent um, Bible study last week. It's really only three weeks, because that's just the way it fell this year. Way the year. calendar worked. But she had 100 people show up last See? week, which is, oh my gosh, that was awesome. I think she had down 40. We were saying, oh no, you'll get, you think I'll no get more. extras? Oh yeah, you'll you'll definitely get extras. And a hundred people showed up, so that was really a smart move to have moved it to Piro Hall. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm I'm really hoping today that um, many many will you know come back the next I two weeks. I bet they will. It's can. only three weeks long, right? Right. So as it's long not as like their long term commitment. Yeah. But it's hunger for the Bible. Yeah, I was so so happy for her. So um, and happy for everybody who showed up. Of yeah. Course. So anyway, that's about it. Okay. Shall I pray us? Please pray to us get going? Into, into the day, yes. <laughs> They're praying out there, we will get going. <laughs> Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be back on this Monday, resuming our journey through First Thessalonians. And uh, in this Advent season, um, even now, just help us to hear Paul well. May your spirit energize us and fill us with enthusiasm and, and lift us up as, as we... Uh, make as we continue to hear Paul's words and his instructions and his encouragement and his prayers for these Christians who lived almost almost two thousand years ago and 
help us to hear in all of this um, words and prayers for us as well. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All righty, honey. Okey I'm going to get my bench out of here. Okay, so friends, we are in the third chapter of 1 Thessalonians. I will summarize where we are. We are going to start at verse 6. And um, in the preceding paragraph, Paul, a couple of paragraphs, he says to the Thessalonians that he really misses them, and he wants to see them face to face. Satan has been throwing up some barriers. We don't really know, really know what the extent of that is. But you certainly get the sense that Paul is frustrated. He would like to go see these people, you know. Nothing, nothing tops the presence of people that you care about. Not phones, not emails, not Zoom calls. Here we are online, but there you go. But it's the presence, right? And so Paul is... Um, just expressing his desire, and he eventually says right at the end there in verses like uh, 5, 4, and 5, that because he can't go, and he's concerned that the tempter, Satan, might be working havoc in Thessalonica, he's going to send Timothy, he sent Timothy to find out what was happening. That's the gist of it. He sent Timothy who has since been reunited with Paul to go back to Thessalonica, see what's going on, see how the house churches are doing, see how these these very new Christians are in living the life that God has given them, this new life. And so with that, just pick up right at verse 6. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought us good news about your faith and love. Right? He just brought back a good report. Yep, things are going well in Thessalonica with regards to their faith and love. Now, not maybe not with respect to their reputation in the community or their net worth or a lot of the stuff that we might be thinking that would refer to. It's good news about their faith. They're remaining faithful and their love, their love for one another. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. So this mutual feeling, uh, the, this feeling that Paul has for the Thessalonians, um, they have for him. It's a, it, it's a mutual feeling. It is it is a requited love as opposed to an un unrequited love. Okay? So we're First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse oh, 7. Sorry, I just wanted to put that, and it actually started it before me. <laughs> okay. He sent it. So he says, therefore, right, things are going well. You want to see me? I want to see you. Timothy's brought a good report back. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, Paul speaking about himself, we were encouraged about you because of what? Your faith. We have lots of markers in life these days and lots of ways that people evaluate and get evaluated and lots of values that people espouse and 
others that they hold and and in scripture it's not complicated are these people faithful to one another are they faithful to God are they striving every day to be faithful ever truer disciples of Jesus and do they love God and do they love one another I mean man, that's basically it there's lots of things going on in these people's lives and it would be different for one person to the next because they are <laughs> some are men some are women and they led very different lives compared to the different sorts of lives men and women live today um, some are are poor some have money some are slaves some are free so all of that is pushed to the background by the simple questions are you being faithful are you loving one another that's those are the questions that paul has for these people okay and we'll see this played out more as we go onward so he says we paul is encouraged by hearing about their faith there in verse 7 and so when we get to verse 8 it, it it could be read something like this for now we are really alive since you are standing firm in the lord you know sure um take a teacher a teacher has a student that they that, that they've sort of been bringing along and helping and trying to, to, to get to a new place. Um, and the student begins to thrive and thrive. Well, of course the teacher's going to be buoyed up and uplifted and encouraged. And they're going to feel um, uh, just, you know, they're going to feel enervated. They're going to feel energetic. They're going to feel like, wow, this is really, you know, what we're doing isn't just drifting off into vapor or no verse 8 for now we Paul his associates we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you he is so happy with them he is so encouraged by them he doesn't even know how to thank them for it he can't find the words for it wouldn't you like Paul yes. to say that about you? <laughs> I mean, really. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? These are people who he knows have been persecuted, shunned, whatever form it takes. He knows that he was chased out of town, right? He could imagine what, what happened back there after he was chased out of town. But they have persevered through it all and their faith has grown and their love has grown and their love is being demonstrated and um, it just brings him it makes him so joyful knowing that he is in the presence of God knowing that he, the vocation given him by God, is being carried out and is bearing fruit. Who of us would not feel that way? I think we all would. Verse 10. Night and day we pray most earnestly. 
There's just no tossed off little, oh, I'll pray for you. Oh, thoughts and prayers. Oh, kiss, kiss. No, this is night and day. We pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. He isn't saying that, that, oh my gosh, there's this big emergency, I have to get there, you guys are really missing a lot. He just wants to go there as their senior pastor and help them grow in their faith. There's something lacking in all of our faith. <laughs> Nobody is as mature and a Christian as we would like to be. We all have room to grow. I do. I can answer for Patty. Patty, do you yes, have room to go? Of course, course if you do. We all do. That that's a shared experience among among Christians. Um, and what the funny thing is, I think the more time that you spend at it, the more you make it the center of your life, the more you realize how far you have to go. People who are who are Christian in name only or peripherally attached or come Easter and Christmas, they don't get any of this. They, I mean, they don't see themselves as falling very short of anything, lacking anything. They're perfectly, you know, fat and happy as they are, even though they're not actually in the place with God where they could be. So, that that's really that that's really important to remember. It is. We live in a time when nobody wants to talk about sin, but if you don't talk about sin, you don't realize the life to which we are called, which is to increasingly live, leave sin behind us. It's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that we're just okay. Well, I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, if one more person comes up to me and says, oh, well, you just do you. No, this is not about you doing you. This is about becoming purposefully, purposefully a more passionate servant of Christ. And without purpose behind it, without training to do it, like you would, you know, you would train for a marathon. Nobody's going to, Gonna, gonna strap on a pair of sneakers and go run 26 miles unless they have trained for it. It's not about just trying. It's not about me just doing me. It's about, it's about purposeful training. This is something you get out of Paul's athletic metaphors in his letters. And, and these Thessalonians are, and he would like to go there as their senior pastor as their head coach, as their <laughs> as their fitness trainer, or whatever you want to think about it, and help them to go further. That's it. That's it. In the end, that's really, you know, that that's kind of what that worship church is about the worship of our Lord God. And it is, as one brilliant writer put it not too long ago, it is God's gymnasium where we come to be trained. And we God trains us, and then we do our best to train each other. And um, when we lose sight of that, 
when we lose sight of what it's really about, then it all just begins to weaken and crumble and descend into a mess. So, anyway, okay. So, he says, night and day, verse 10, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. See, Paul is a confident pastor type. He does know that if he shows up in Thessalonica, he can't help them. He's not wishy-washy about any of this. He is confident that God is with him in this. And verse 11, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Boy, is that on his brain or what? That's like the last five paragraphs. <laughs> he wants to get there. God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. And again, you see in that simple sentence, this emerging theology that becomes in full flower as the Trinity. Because he is a monotheistic Jew. Don't doubt that for one second. <laughs> he is radically monotheistic as his fellow Jews were. And yet he finds himself talking about Jesus as being Lord and in the same breath as God our Father. It's radical. And it got Paul into lots of trouble with his fellow Jews. So now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Verse 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. Now let me remind you that when Paul uses the word love, he, this is the agape, we're going to talk about another word for love in just a little bit. Um, it is a love that is grounded in what you do. This is not sentiment. This is not Valentine's Day. It's not roses. It's not violins. It's not sentimental. It is a love grounded in what you can do for others. What can you do for others? One, you can pray for them. That's called intercessory prayer. Two, you can help them. In various ways. Sometimes by encouragement. Sometimes with financial support. Sometimes with food or clothing or whatever people might need. Uh, a drive, a pickup. I'll pick you up, I'll take you to your doctor's appointment. Whatever. Those things for Paul are what constitute love because you see it throughout his letters. What he does is, what he does is love. And he wants them for their love for each other, increase and overflow for the Christians and look at the for everyone else. Who are, who's the everyone else? Do I think he draws a boundary there between the Christian world and the Gentile world? No, I don't think that. I think he, he, 
These Christians are, their love is to increase and overflow within the community, within the body of Christ, but then for everyone else. Because otherwise, how does, how does the body of Christ grow? There to be witnesses to Jesus, right? Patty, did you yeah. say, say I, I something? I said yes, yes, I totally agree with you. Yeah. Just as ours does for you. Okay? So, so Paul's love for them is increasing, their love for him, their love for one another, their love for God, their love for the Gentiles that they live among, their love for those who are persecuting them. And that's when it gets harder, isn't it? That's really hard. That's when it gets harder. Yeah. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones, his saints, his holy ones. The, the, um, the how would I put this? I, I guess it would be, it would be, the believers who have come before. Some, I'm sure, see this as a reference to angels or something. I, I don't. I don't think that. I don't think this is. I'm with those who see this as, as, um, the believers who have already gone to be with Christ. And, of course, Paul uses this language like, May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God. And people think, well, goodness. <sighs> That's impossible. How am I going to do that? The way to see this is to understand that when you come to Christ, God, by God's grace, you are holy and blameless in His sight. And then our walk in the next months and years and decades ahead are about living up to being holy and blameless about what I was just talking about, about growing in our discipleship, growing to be more Christ-like, growing every day, striving to be a little kinder, more helpful, more loving, more patient, more compassionate. Look at the list Paul has about things like fruit of the Spirit. Um, more self-controlled as we strive to leave the life of sin behind. You can't focus on some you know and well i'm just never gonna i'm I, i'm just i don't know i don't i just don't think i'm ever gonna get there well that's not the right approach the right approach is to wake up tomorrow and do what you can tomorrow and then wake up the next day and do what you can the next day and if you get knocked back if you make some big mistake and you you know you decide it's a if you make some big mistake you just get up the next day and you don't make it again. And onward you go, that day and then the next day and the next day. Um, there's no reason to be, to be scared of the words holy and blameless. It just means, what does it mean? It means to love God 
and love others with all our heart and all that we do. See, isn't that a nice, friendly way to say it? Just love God and love others with all our heart and everything that we do. There you go. That's all, that's what being holy and blameless is about. Patty, do you have anything to add over there? Oh, I was just going to say, you know, I, I know what you're saying, of course, is, is true because, you know, there's only been one one person that's ever been born that's been truly holy and blameless and perfect, and that's Jesus. So we're really just, we're striving to be more like him. I and, don't know. And John could, Wesley, I who's know. sitting behind you, right? That little yes. John Wesley bus behind your head over there yes. would say to you, now, Patty. Do you mean? <laughs> We're going to have show and tell for a second here for those of you who are on the podcast. <laughs> Patty is now holding up this bust of John Wesley. He that was given right to me, me. <laughs> given to me by my friend Joe, Joe Armstrong to keep in my office right where I could see him every day looking down on me saying, Scott, that's not the right way to see this. Get up tomorrow. Be loving. Strive for blamelessness every day. Maybe you will be surprised by how far God gets you in this. How about that? That's that. I you like know. that, yes. See, because it really is, again, we want to make it, because, you know, where it's all about us, it, it, where it's like following a diet, you know, or something. But it's not. It's about what God does. It's what the Spirit does. We have our part to play in this. But we aren't doing it alone. And so... I, I could, Mary, I could rewrite this sentence. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will love God and love others in all things, at all times. When our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Okay. So anything over there, bait? Anything else over there, honey? No. Anything from 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 folks no, before we go on to chapter very four? Quiet. Okay. Yes. And, well, and you folks, know, I just want you to know that that was not just any bus. That's not like something you could go pick up in, like you know, I don't know, Lifeway or Hobby Lobby that sells Christians things. This this it was bus it really... was given to me by my friend Joe Armstrong, mm -hmm. and. Um, it, it was shipped to him. Shipped from to England. him from London. London. From an antiques dealer. Yes. It was produced as part of the Wes the centenary of Wesley's death at the end of the nineteenth century. He he was an he was an eighteenth century guy. Yes. So it's quite but a hundred years after his death, I think that's what it, what it was, and it was and it's. This is as it was produced at the end of the 19th century. So it was a very special. I'm not sure why Scott moved him right behind me. I think because he think I needed him. Because more. he he can see me <laughs> over oh. the he can see me over the top of my computer monitor. I gotcha. He's right. That's he's why right he's on top of my... this cabinet. If he were lower, like on a desk somewhere, he'd be hidden away behind all of my stuff yes. here. I feel but like as he's he is, watching he's, over my shoulder. He's which sitting. Is a good thing. <laughs> he's sitting on the mountaintop. Okay. <laughs> looking down on me. Okay. 
Well, okay, so Paul's written now a good bit about him seeing them, then seeing him, how encouraged he is, the good news, the good report that Timothy brought back, his, his unyielding desire to return to Thessalonica and help them continue to grow and all of that. And so now, here at the beginning of chapter 4, he's going to change direction a bit. And he says, as for other matters brothers and sisters. We instructed you how to live in order to please God. Okay? This echoes Romans 12, 2, when he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will know what the will of God is, what is pleasing, and what is good, and what is mature. So you will know the path that you should be walking as a Christian as you're striving to be more Christ-like. So he says the same thing here, just a little different words. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, because he's writing to this community, these house churches made up of men and women, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact, you are living. There again. Boy, you'd like Paul to show up and say, say that about you. Now we ask you, and we urge you, in the Lord Jesus, to do this more and more. Because what does he know about? I'm sure he's already learned this as a, as a good good pastor type with these house churches. It's really easy to be get swept up in the enthusiasm of new faith, new love. And then as the weeks turn into months and the months turn into a year, a year and a half, you know, it gets a little bit more mundane the people whose annoyances you didn't pay any attention to before and your enthusiasm, well, their annoyances are annoying you again. And you just begin to sort of drift away. None of this is magic. Nothing that God does is magic. You have to you have to purposefully push onward. If you have period, Christians will call it periods of, of dryness, spiritual dryness. What do you do with those? Well, you, you can't let them chase you out of the church or chase you out of the body of Christ. You have to push through them. You have to keep doing the things that you would do if you felt the way you want to feel. Go. Feelings are good. I mean, I like feelings. I, you know, I like the way I feel about Patty. Feelings are good. So I'm not saying they're bad, but you you have to purposefully go about it. We ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. To do what? To live in order to please God. Who are you? Who are you trying to please in your life? Boy, isn't that a big question? And there are times when we're all asked that question, right? About families, about jobs, about politicians, about 
um, your financial advisor, I don't know, who are you trying to please in life? Well, we the first person that we should be striving to please in life is God. When I have my life properly ordered, God comes first and Patty comes second. When she has her life properly ordered, God comes first, I hope I come second. Okay? But that ordering of our of our loves it 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 isn't let's use a good word, it isn't natural. Because Patty's sitting across from me. I can see her lovely little face right here. I love that little face. <laughs> okay? It's not natural. That's that's the whole thing. You can't none of this is really just oh natural. We have to natural is what we were. Now what we're trying to be is something well, I don't want to say supernatural, but other natural, you know, something beyond natural. Right? right. And and so and so we we, we're not just striving to be our best selves. We're striving to be new selves. We're trying, striving to actually live out the new self which God has made us into. So he says, Now we ask you and urge you, back to uh, verse 1, Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, living to please God. Again, how do you do it? Okay, I'm going to wake up this morning. That's what I'm going to do today. When I wake up tomorrow, that's what I'm going to do today. And that's what I'm going to do the next day. And each day, yep, yep, this is what I'm really striving to do. How do I know what that actually means in practice? Well, first place to go is Scripture. Paul's letters are really helpful in this. Um, as are the Gospels. Paul writes, for you know... Here's, 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 here's his answer for them to that question. For you know what instructions we gave you by what authority? Whoa. The authority of the Lord Jesus. This is Paul. Confident Paul. Confident that Jesus visited him. Confident that in so many aspects, aspects of his vocation, he is doing what God wants him to do how God wants him to do it, that the instructions and teachings he's leaving behind in these communities are what Jesus would want to have left behind in these communities. He is not, he is not filled up with self-doubt about this. There is no angst in Paul about this. He is confident. He's confident. Despite the fact that these Instructions, these teachings are so at odds with the world that they live in. And I think Christians today and in the coming years and in the coming decades will have to be a lot stronger to be willing to follow the authority of Jesus revealed in scripture 
as it grows increasingly at odds with the world in which we live. I just think, you know, it's it's happening now. It's been happening for a while. Um, I think it will happen more and more, and we will have to remain committed and strong and in our work to be to be true. That's why the authority of Scripture matters. I have not been visited by Jesus as Paul was, but I have been given Scripture inspired by God. God breathed, Paul writes elsewhere. Okay? So, living God inspired, like Lynn writes. And how do we, how, what is the test for when we feel inspired by God as to whether it really is of God or of something else? Well, the test is to come to Scripture. That's, that, that's the thing. What does Scripture have to say? And Scripture does actually say things. And Christians have been working on this for 2,000 years <laughs> to try to, to try to, 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 to hear the Bible well and to understand which parts of it are really essential to the Christian faith and life and which parts are not so essential, helpful but not, not so essential. So, so that's how, because you could feel inspired. I could feel inspired in lots of ways. You know, people, uh, I'm going to use an extreme example. I don't know why I came to mind. But, you know, people felt inspired by Adolf Hitler. Right? You wouldn't have to go very far in the Bible to figure out that that was not inspiration coming from God. So, yeah. So we have to live, as Lynn puts it, this God-inspired life. And we learn what that is by allowing Scripture to test it. And we do, do we do that by ourselves? By going off into a closet somewhere and working all this out on big pieces of paper on the wall? No, we have to do this with other Christians. With other Christians. It's the other Christians who are, who are the guide to us. That's why so many of these crazy cult leaders, they want to go somewhere away from the world. The great example is Jim Jones. He took his people down to where? Guyana. Because he knew that if his folks really had enough contact with family and friends and other people in the world, that the whole thing would collapse because it was crazy. Same, same thing with the Branch Davidians. You go to Waco, you live apart from the world. Because that's the only way to keep these crazy notions and crazy biblical interpretations intact. Because otherwise, the body of Christ will discern this and stri always striving to move forward in the great river of, of Christian interpretation and doctrine. So he says, verse 2, For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And then he says, now he's going to be getting specific. And you wonder if Timothy came back and, and, and brought Paul 
some word about some things happening in Thessalonica. So let me just say a preliminary word. These people lived in a hyper, hyper-sexualized culture. You might think we do, we don't. These people lived in a hyper-sexualized culture. It was everywhere. Um, uh, men could have sex with any woman they wanted without any shame or argument from anyone, including their wives, as long as that, as long as the woman wasn't the wife of another man. And that whole wife thing is tricky because there's like seven, there were like seven different levels of things we could call wives from what now we might call common law all the way up to like fully pieces of paper, you know, needing divorce decrees and the rest of it. So, if you keep that in mind, it, it helps you maybe begin to understand where Paul is going to come from here. So, he says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that is made holy. That's what the word sanctified means, made holy. Set apart for God. Sinless. That you should be sanctified. That you should avoid sexual immorality. Now, right there, there's a... Historically, the Greek word porania is translated sexual immorality. I, um, in some translations, it's translated fornication, which we um, treat as, at least I growing up, it was always told, well, fornication was sex outside marriage, which is narrower. Sexual immorality is broader. But... As we read on here, I just want you to have an idea in mind that perhaps even what we think of as sexual immorality is not broad enough. That Paul does have sexual behavior in view here in particular, but it is about the objectification or the exploitation of another person. Because the word pornia was usually used in the Greek world to refer to prostitutes. In the context of, of, of prostitution. And prostitutes are of course what? They're objects. You know? They're, they're objects for the purchaser to use to satisfy the purchaser's own desires. That's it. They're not treated by the purchaser as real people. They're, they're just objects. And it was true then, and it's true now. That's one of the great tragedies of calling prostitution a victimless crime. It's not a victimless crime. Both parties are victims in it. Because neither should you be the objectified, exploited person, but neither should you be the one who treats somebody as an object. So how are they the victim? Who? You the purchaser? Said, you just said that, yes. How's the, how would that be? Because the purchaser is giving themselves over to exploiting other people. And that damages their soul. It damages their being. It damages who they are. They may not even realize it, but it does. Okay. Is that is that little heater on over there? It is. It's too hot. I'll turn it off. Could you, if you would. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's getting getting pretty pretty toasty over here. Sorry. 
it's okay. Um, are we, did God make us so that we would exploit other people? Does sin harm us? Well, sin, yes. Sin harms us. And when we commit a sin against another person, that harms us. It harms our relationship with God. There's a lot we could talk about there. but So that, that that's sort of like, okay, so the word here is this pornea word, which I think we need to think of broadly, even though what Paul is talking about here is with regard to sexual behavior. Because he then goes on and says that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who don't know God. The pagan world, the pagan Greco-Roman world in which these people lived, like I said, was hypersexualized. You would not let your daughter go out of the house alone. You just wouldn't let you wouldn't let that happen. There were uh, I don't need to, to to have any provide any specific examples, but it's it's in their parades, in their activities, in their festivals, in it was just sex, 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 sex. And Paul is bringing to them a new way of living because these are new people. And I, for one, am sure that Paul, this Pharisee, grasps that because he uses the reference himself twice, that, that sex is the union when of a man and a woman and creates a a one flesh, the one fleshness of Genesis um, 2. One flesh, and it's powerful and mysterious and means something. And you, if you've been through 1 Corinthians, you know that in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells the men who are visiting these temple prostitutes, don't go, don't go. Don't you realize when you go and you have sex with this temple prostitute that you are bringing her, you're making her part of the body of Christ because you become one flesh. It's, it's, it's not just the act of our, like our dogs and cats and all the rest of it. We are not them. We, we are made in the image of God. And that means a lot in a lot of different spheres of life. And here he's urging them. And this, this would this would be meant for the men. I mean, I've told you before that the women in this world let they led very private lives. They their lives they were very homebound. The men were largely unrestrained by societal norm, societal norms. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, non-passionate lust like the pagan, pagans who don't know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. No one should exploit a brother or sister. Now, he is, that brother or sister is a clue that he is speaking within the community of the house churches. 
Oh, yes. Okay. It's not a lovely word to look at this long. <laughs> yeah. Okay, there we go. I'm back. Woohoo! Okay, I, I just I forgot to take the slide down. All right. And look at verse six. And that in this matter, no one should wrong another person or take a, a brother or sister or take advantage of her brother or sister. That's that exploitation thing. And and it doesn't. Paul has in mind this. It's clear he's speaking in the sphere of sexuality, but that's a broader idea, isn't it? Not objectifying people, not 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 engaging with them simply because my one of my examples. I mean, I came I came out of the business world, you know. You could see somebody while well, he's the spreadsheet guy, and that's all you would know about him. That's all you even cared about him. He was really good with Excel. He's our spreadsheet guy. Is that really how God wants us to see others? Is that what it means to love that guy? Of course not. But it's easy to fall into. Boy, it is easy to fall into. In this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of her brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. They are to live new lives. And I'm sure Paul gave them some stern warnings. I imagine as Paul starts to talk about this in his first visit to Thessalonica, before he's chased out of town, that there were people squirming in their, well, on, on their couches. They don't so much have chairs like you and I do. But they were squirming because this is, this, it, it's so, this is one of the places where the good news was so countercultural. The good news was countercultural. The the life, the life um, that the good news brings, was really countercultural in almost every respect. So it was kind of a world turned upside down, and it was usually the men who had their worlds worlds turned upside down the most. That's why in Paul's household codes, he has for every one thing he might say to a wife, to the wives, or to the children, or even to the slaves, he's got four things to say to the husbands. Because it's their world that's being, wow, what do you mean? What do you mean? I'm supposed to love my wife as she loves me. I'm the boss. What's this mutuality business? She's my woman. So Paul simply says at the end of verse 6, the Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. Not picking out those sins above other sins, but in their world, this is going to be a big problem because we see it in his letters. Like in 1 Corinthians, when one dude is having sex with his... Well, who is she? She is his father's wife. Right? And nobody seem they don't seem to care. Nobody in the house churches seem to care. The men in the house churches are still going to temple prostitutes. Nobody cares. Why? Because it's so accepted, so accepted as being good and right and proper in the world. And when that's the case, fighting it and standing up to it's really hard. Verse seven. Paul writes, For God did not call us to be impure, 
but to live a holy life. Always stop and think about what it really means to love another person. And what you do and what you say and how you see them, what you do for them, right? The, the sum of that is leading a holy life. It's not sentiment, okay? And so then he goes on. He says, therefore, and you know, there's always something on the other side of therefore with Paul, right? Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being. You're not rejecting me, people. <laughs> and this way, I'm just the messenger. You are rejecting God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. You have been born again. You've been born a second time. You've been born from above. You are new creations, and here you are running back to your old ways. Don't, 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 don't. And when you do, you are rejecting the very God who has given you this new life. Notice, see, I mean, I, I was just talking about this in the context of, well, you know, how the sin can, how the the exploiter is harming him or herself. But, but Paul's focus is more mature than mine. He says, look what you're doing. You are rejecting the God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit, remember, is not the force, not electricity. It is God himself, the third person of the Trinity. Okay, so thoughts or questions, Patty, over there? Everybody's very quiet today. Well, I don't know what to make of that, but okay. I don't either. So... And it, it, it seems to me like I know you've spent a lot of time on this paragraph, um, but I would imagine where they are in Thessalonica, this probably isn't a really huge problem because he's telling them too often about how wonderful they are. Maybe this is just like a reminder thing, like this is... Yeah, see, I think there's... I think prob if you had to... If I had to bet, I would bet that Timothy brought back a report about perhaps in one house church, something, something, some pocket of, of people who aren't, haven't, aren't really getting it, okay? Mm -hmm. But Paul's not going to condemn the whole community for it. Um, so Jim oh, Adams writes, Paul talks about the exploitation of others, women, others as objects, but not against the exploitation of others such as slaves. It was common then amongst all societies. Why wouldn't such exploitation be spoken to as wrong in the Bible? Weren't women explored as, exploited as second class or lesser citizens? The women were exploited as second class, lesser citizens. The heart of Jim's question is, well, okay, so, so where do we find the sermons against human slavery by Paul? And we don't. Slavery was how the whole world operated, not just in the Greco-Roman world, but traveled around the globe in, in these ancient cultures. It was how the world operated. And um, 
you see in Paul the recognition that in Christ this is this is going to change. One of the most famous is when he says in Galatians, um, "We are all one in Christ." There in in Christ, there's neither male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile. That those that that we are going to to rise past that, but it's not definitely not uh, as Jim puts it in the sense of any type of popular revolts. I I personally don't think anybody could could conceive of a world without slavery at this time. It was just endemic to everywhere, in everything, at all levels of life. Rich people, poor people, everywhere. It was a world in which people, um, and many of whom were slaves, ended up in arenas where other folks had come to watch them get slaughtered. It's how does how does slavery come to an end? It comes to an end because as the centuries go on, Christians come to see the wrongness of it. You know, slavery sort of turns into feudalism and then feudalism turns into um, uh, what? beginning of some some property rights, some sense of freedoms, and all the time this underlying Christian current from Galatians 3.28 or so is underneath it. And, and what I know the most about is William Wilberforce in the British Empire, who led the charge um, to, to, to end slavery in the British Empire. And they did, and they did it without a war. They simply bought all the slaves into freedom. That's how they did it. I forget the percentage of their British treasury um, that was spent on this project, and there were many people who, at the time, we thought it was terrible to enrich these slave owners by buying the slaves so they could be set free, but that's the way they did it. Maybe, I think it probably is better than shedding the blood of hundreds of thousands of people, which is how it happened here. But the abolitionists did it out of this, out of a Christian sense. Um, and you just have to look, re read the letter Philemon about a runaway slave and tell me that Paul isn't, isn't advocating for a new world when he tells his friend, you need to accept this runaway slave back and and you need to you need to treat him as you would treat me. That's explosive. So really good questions, Jim. Really, really good questions. Okay. Now, verse nine is interesting because no see how it says now about your love yes. for one another? Okay. Um, right here, the, the, the love we're talking about here is actually no longer agape. Now it's Philadelphia, as in Pennsylvania. <laughs> there are three kinds of love generally in the New Testament. Agape, which is sort of contentless. Philos, which is a brotherly love. It's a familial love. And then there is eros, which is 
more of an objectified love. It's, it's a desire for something. So here it is, Philadelphia, philos, a derivative of the word philos, and it's, what it's conveying is that he's speaking about the love amongst these brothers and sisters who, con of, who constitute a family, which is something I talk about a great deal, that all of us who are in Christ are a family. We are brothers and sisters. I have brothers and sisters in Christ at St. Andrew. I have brothers and sisters in Christ in Korea and Africa and all over the globe. I have brothers and sisters who have died and are now with Christ. And I have brothers and sisters who have yet to be born in the largest scheme of things. It is a family. And that's why a place like St. Andrew needs to be thought of as a family, not as a business. It's hard for us business people to do that, to make that transition, but I made it. Not always easily. At least Robert didn't think it was easy for me <laughs> as he tried to get me there. Okay, but we are a family. So he says in verse 9, Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And remember, this love word is an action word. And he says, and in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Now, N.T. Wright, other commentators that I found, see in this sort of a recognition of financial support. Because that was a very practical way um, for Christians to help each other. Not the only way, intercessory prayer, um, providing food or clothing, but financial support to make sure that in the community, reflecting Acts 2 and 3 and 4 and 5, that people's basic needs are met. Because there is no, there's no government, there's no, in the sense of no safety net, no social security, um, you know, widows were marginalized because they didn't have any family to look after them if they hadn't been taken in by a son or something. So he's, he says, he sees in them this love amongst themselves. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. And he says, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, which probably means be a bigger and bigger help. It's not sentiment. That, that's what we have to get rid of here. It's not sentiment. It's not just sitting here thinking, oh, my heart's going to get bigger and bigger for my little Christian friends down the street in Macedonia. No, there's, there's more. There's, that would not be what Paul means by love. Paul means something they're doing. And I'm kind of with those who think, well, you know, what is the, what's the old adage? Money walks or something? that they're probably providing some financial support to others. Because he says, and we urge you brothers and sisters to do so more and more and to make it your ambition. Hmm. What sort of life might they lead while they're doing this? Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. Isn't that great? It's sort of like these are the clues to having a pretty happy, stress-free, anxiety-free life. First of all, lead a quiet life. 
You don't have to splash your life all over the pages of Twitter and everywhere else and be running around hyped up like a mad person. Lead a quiet life. You should keep your nose out of other people's business and work with your hands, just as we told you, work. Now, why is it work with your hands? Because that's all the work that was available. Almost all the work that people could do was with their hands. This is an agrarian economy. There weren't a lot of people sitting around, you know, thinking deep thoughts and getting paid for it. These, these were people who were gonna do things with their hands. So the key thing is, he's, which he has reiterated elsewhere, you know, one, one place in one letter he says, everybody works. <laughs> everybody works. Again, Paul knew his book of Genesis. Work is given to the humans before they rebel against God. Work is part of God's created order. So, number one, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Number two, you should mind your own business. Number three, you should work. And why is this? So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. Why does that matter? Because they're to be witnesses. Right? Remember the old little two-by-two two matrix I've used before? Do what builds up the body of Christ. Do what is a good witness to others. Avoid what tears down the body of Christ. Avoid what is a poor witness to others. So if these people live good lives that other people can see, minding their own business, working hard, they'll gain respect of outsiders. And so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Probably financially is what Paul has in mind. He, Paul could be a very practical person when he wanted to be. Um, so, so by working and leading a quiet life and gaining respect, you're going to lead a good life and you're going to lead a good life in which you're not, which you can help others because you yourself are not dependent upon financial support. And also, sometimes I think that if you're dependent on somebody financially, uh, sometimes there are things that come along with that financial Ooh. support that they expect of you. Like strings? Like <laughs> strings attached, which could totally take them away from this new new life of faith that they're trying to lead. Yep. Oh, come on. Come, come on. on. Come on. Um, I remember I had a business school professor who said, he said, as soon as you get out of business school, you've got to start putting together in a savings account six months of your salary and that is your walking away money so if you are asked to do something that you really know that you shouldn't do you're not going to do it simply because you have to keep your job you can walk away and you'll have six months to find another one which will be plenty of time i always thought that was pretty good advice i don't think most of us were able to do it um, when you have little kids and the rest of it but yeah okay so, any thoughts or questions there, Patty? No. Well, we're going to end there, and I'm going to, when we come next week, you know what we're going to talk about, honey? 
what are we going to talk about? Left Behind. Okay. Yep. We're going to talk about Left Behind. The book series or whatever. We're going to talk about how to read the this upcoming paragraph in First Thessalonians. And I will help you do that. And it will be a lot of... I think it will be real interesting. Yep. Left Behind. Because they're worried. They're worried that Grandma might have missed out on sure. Jesus and truth, so Grandma could be out of luck. People still worry about that today. Yeah, well, they shouldn't. But they do. They, they just yeah, do. They do. So, oh, where okay. am I? There I am. No, there, there oh, you are. There what I happened? Am. It got dark in it. What happened? It did. I don't know. The sun went down to a level that... How about that? Anyway. I brightened us up there. All good. Hey, Gary. was so good to see you and Jan yesterday. We miss seeing your little smiley faces. That's right. It's good really. to see. You know, I told you I saw them at the doctor's office. That's right. That's last right. Last Thursday. Yes. Yeah. I, I, actually, I was still. World. I was at the counter signing in, and up behind me, I hear this familiar voice. And <laughs> <laughs> it's Gary Brooks at Doctor Bonnet's office of such all a, places. Such a small world. Yep. A small world. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope you all have a good rest of the day, and uh, hope. Hopefully, some of you will catch us online tomorrow. Oh, no. No, I'm so Stop. glad I thought Stop of that. Stop yourself. Yes. Scott has the big staff luncheon tomorrow, which he is truly looking I'm forward to. I'm very much to. looking forward to it. And um, he's going to, I don't know. So, he, my Tuesday class does not meet tomorrow. That's Tuesday the gist. Class, that's it. Doesn't meet tomorrow. So, um, next time we'll see most of you guys will be Sunday morning. And don't forget, Sunday is potluck day. And... Um, you can just bring your food into the room, um, into Smith. We'll have tablecloths and everything on the table by like 9.30. Uh, and don't forget also, guys, Sunday is the magical Christmas um, musical at uh, St. Andrew. It's not actually like a musical musical, but a wonderful musical what would you call it then? Experience. Experience. At 9.30 and yes. 11 o'clock. Yes, so you don't want to get there late. Don't want to get there late. At least have somebody save a seat for you. Are you speaking to yourself here, Patty? I am. Well, I'll be up there really early putting <laughs> tablecloths on the tables in Smith, but um, you'll be holding a seat That's for God's me. trick for getting you there on time that's, then, that's isn't so it? That's so true. That's so true. But it will, be, it will really be a great Sunday. So let's just close in prayer. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you again for this absolutely gorgeous day in December. Um, we thank you for the sunshine and the warmth that we had today. We thank you, God, that we were able to stop for a little bit in our day and come together today and just study your word. Um, Lord, help us just to uh, understand Paul better and better. The more of the letters and the more of uh, Acts and different different parts of the Bible that we go through, we get to see Paul um, hopefully in a new light. Um, I know many of us had a negative idea of Paul in our hearts for a long time and it was just because we didn't know we just didn't know a lot of things and thank you God for opening our eyes and and helping us to see why you chose this man at that time to be the person who carried your word throughout the entire kingdom uh, the entire empire Lord um, we we get to see more and more why why it was him that you chose Lord keep us safe this week watch over us please we pray for good health for all of us we pray God for your wisdom and your discernment every day in our lives Lord help us to make good choices 
Um, we love you. We're so grateful, Lord, for the gift of your son. We lift up all these prayers in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. Amen. Adios, everybody. Bye, everybody.